Chapter 15 of Storm Over Warlock by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Storm Over Warlock. Chapter 15 Dragon Slayer. Hi! Sheer defiance, not only of the beast he fronted, but of the wyverns as well, brought that old rallying cry to his lips the call used on the dumps of Tyr to summon gang-aid against outsiders. Forktail had crouched again for a spring, but that throat-crackling blast appeared to startle it. Shan, blade-ready, took a dancing step to the right. The thing was scaled, perhaps as well armored against frontal attack as was the shell-creature he had fought with the aid of the wolverines. He wished he had the Terran animals now with Taggy and his mate to tease and feint about the monster, as they had done with the throghound, for he would have a better chance, if only the animals were here. Those eyes, red-pitted eyes in a gargoyle head following his every movement, perhaps those were the only vulnerable points. Muscles tensed beneath that scaled hide. The Terran readied himself for a sideways leap, his knife-hand raised to rake at those eyes. A brown shape with a V of lighter fur banding its back crossed the far range of Shan's vision. He could not believe what he saw, not even when a snarling animal, slavering with rage, came at a lumbering gallop to stand beside him, a second animal on its heels. Uttering its own battle-cry, Taggy attacked. The forked tail's head swung, imitating the movements of the wolverine as it had earlier mimicked the swaying of the disc in the wyvern's hand. Togi came in from the other side. They might have been hounds keeping a bull in play. And never had they shown such perfect teamwork, almost as if they could sense what Shan desired of them. That forked tail lashed viciously, a formidable weapon. Bone, muscle, scaled flesh, half buried in the sand, swept up a cloud of grit into the face of the man and the animals. Sean fell back, pawing with his free hand at his eyes. The wolverine circled warily, trying for the attack they favored, the spring to the shoulders, the usually fatal assault on the spine behind the neck. But the armored head of the forktail, slung low, warned them off. Again the tail lashed, and this time Taggy was caught and hurled across the beach. Togi uttered a challenge, made a reckless dash, and raked down the length of the forked tail's body, fastening on that tail, weighing it to the earth with her own poundage while the sea-creature fought to dislodge her. Shan, his eyes watering from the sand, but able to see, watched that battle for a long second judging that Forktail was completely engaged in trying to free its best weapon from the grip of the wolverine. The latter clawed and bit with a fury which suggested Togi intended to immobilize that weapon by tearing it to shreds. Forktail wrenched its body, striving to reach its tormentor with fangs or clawed feet, and in that struggle to achieve an impossible position its head slewed far about, uncovering the unprotected area behind the skull-base, which usually lay under the spiny collar about its shoulders. Shan went in. With one hand he gripped the edge of that collar, its serrations tearing his flesh, and at the same time he drove his knife-blade deep into the soft underfolds, 
ripping on toward the spinal column. The blade nicked against bone as the forktail's head slammed back, catching Shan's hand and knife together in a trap. The Terran was jerked from his feet and flung to one side with the force of the beast's reaction. Blood spurted up, his own blood mingled with that of the monster. Only Togi's riding of the tail prevented Shan's being beaten to death. The armored snout pointed skyward as the creature ground the sharp edge of its collar down on the Terran's arm. Shan, frantic with pain, drove his free fist into one of those eyes. Forktail jerked convulsively. Its head snapped down again, and Shan was free. The Terran threw himself back, keeping his feet with an effort. Forktail was writhing, churning up the sand in a cloud. But it could not rid itself of the knife Shan had planted with all his strength, and which the blows of its own armored collar were now driving deeper and deeper into its back. It howled thinly, with an abnormal shrilling. Shan, nursing his bleeding forearm against his chest, rolled free from the waves of sand it threw about, bringing up against one of the rock pillars. With that to steady him, he somehow found his feet, and stood weaving, trying to see through the rain of dust. The convulsions which churned up that concealing cloud were growing more feeble. Then Shan heard the triumphant squall from Togi saw her brown body still on the torn tail, just above the forking. The wolverine used her claws to hitch her way up the spine of the sea-monster, heading for the mountain of blood spouting from behind the head. Forktail fought to raise that head once more. Then the massive jaw thudded into the sand, teeth snapping fruitlessly as a flood of grit overrode the tongue, packed into the gaping mouth. How long had it taken, that frenzy of battle on the blood-stained beach? Shan could have set no limit in clock-ruled time. He pressed his wounded arm tighter to him, lurched past the still-twitching sea-thing to the splotch of brown fur on the sand, shaping the wolverine's whistle with dry lips. Togi was still busy with the kill, but Taggy lay where the murderous tail had thrown him. Shan fell on his knees, as the beach around him developed a curious tendency to sway. He put his good hand to the ruffled back fur of the motionless wolverine. "'Taggy!' A slight quiver answered. Shan tried awkwardly to raise the animal's head with his own hand. As far as he could see, there were no open wounds. But there might be broken bones, internal injuries he could not have the skill to heal. "'Taggy!' He called again gently, striving to bring that heavy head up on his knee. The furred one is not dead. For a moment Shan was not aware that those words had formed in his mind, had not been heard by his ears. He looked up, his eyes blazing at the wyvern coming toward him in a graceful glide across the crimson sand. And in the space of heartbeats, his thrust of anger cooled into a stubborn enmity. "'No thanks to you,' he said deliberately aloud. "'If the wyvern witch wanted to understand him, let her make the effort. He did not try to touch her thoughts with his.' Taggy stirred again, and Shan glanced down quickly. The wolverine gasped, opened his eyes, shook his miniature bear head, scattering pellets of sand. 
he sniffed at a dollop of blood, the dark, alien blood spattered on Shan's breeches, and then his head came up with a reassuring alertness as he looked to where his mate was still worrying the now quiet fork-tail. With an effort, Taggy got to his feet, Shan aiding him. The man ran his hand down over ribs, seeking any broken bones. Taggy growled a warning once, when that examination brought pain in its wake, but Shan could detect no real damage. As might a cat, the wolverine must have met the shock of that whiptail stroke relaxed enough to escape serious injury. Taggy had been knocked out, but now he was able to navigate again. He pulled free from Shan's grip, lumbering across the sand to the kill. Someone else was crossing that strip of beach. Passing the wyvern, as if he did not see them, Thorvald came directly to Shan. A few seconds later he had the torn arm stretched across his own bent knee, examining the still bleeding hurt. "'That's a nasty one,' he commented. Shan heard the words, and they made sense, but the instability of his surroundings was increasing while Thorvald's handling sent sharp stabs of pain up his arm and somehow into his head, where they ended in red bursts to cloud his sight. Out of the reddish mist which had fogged most of the landscape there emerged a single object, a round white disk. And in Shan's clouded mind a well-rooted apprehension stirred. He struck out with his one hand, and through luck connected. The disk flew out of sight. His vision cleared enough so he could sight the wyvern who had been leaning over Thorvald's shoulder centering her weird weapon on him. Making a great effort, Shan got out the words, words which he also shaped in his mind as he said them aloud. "'You're not taking me over, again!' There was no emotion to be read on that jewel-banded face or in her unblinking eyes. He caught at Thorvald determined to get across his warning. "'Don't let them use those discs on us!' "'I'll do my best.' Only the haze had taken Thorvald again. Did one of the wyverns have a disc focused on them? Were they being pulled into one of those blank periods, to awaken as prisoners once more, say, in the cavern of the Vale? The Terran fought with every ounce of willpower to escape unconsciousness, but he failed. This time he did not awaken half-drowning in an underground stream, or facing a green mist. And there was an ache in his arm which was somehow reassuring with the very insistence of pain. Before opening his eyes, his fingers crossed the smooth slick of a bandage there, went on to investigate by touch a sleep-mat such as he had found in the cavern structure. Was he back in that web of rooms and corridors? Shan delayed opening his eyes until a kind of shame drove him to it. He first saw an oval opening almost the length of his body, as it was stretched only a foot or two below the sill of that window. And through its transparent surface came the golden light of the sun, no green mist, no crystals mocking the stars. The room in which he lay was small with smooth walls, much like that in which he had been imprisoned on the island, and there were no other furnishings save the mat on which he rested. Over him was a light cover, netted of fibers resembling yarn, 
with feathers knotted into it to provide a downy upper surface. His clothing was gone, but the single covering was too warm, and he pushed it away from his shoulders and chest as he wriggled up to see the view beyond the window. His torn arm came into full view. From wrist to elbow it was encased in an opaque skin sheath, unlike any bandage of his own world. Surely that had not come out of any survey aid-pack. Shan gazed toward the window, but beyond lay only a reach of sky. Except for a lemon cloud or two ruffled high above the horizon, nothing broke that soft amber curtain. He might be quartered in a tower well above ground level, which did not match his former experience with wyvern accommodations. "'Back with us again?' Thorvald, one hand lifting a door-panel, came in. His ragged uniform was gone, and he wore only breeches of a sleek green material, and his own scuffed and battered boots. Shan settled back on the mat. "'Where are we?' "'I think you might term this the capital city,' Thorvald answered. "'In relation to the mainland, we're on an island well out to sea, westward.' "'How did we get here?' that climb in the slab, the stream underground, had it been an interior river running under the bed of the sea? But Shan was not prepared for the other's reply. By wishing. By what? Thorvald nodded, his expression serious. They wished us here. Listen, Lanty, when you jumped down to mix it with that fork-tailed thing, did you wish you had the wolverines with you? Shan thought back. His memories of what had occurred before that battle were none too clear. But yes, he had wished Taggy and Togi present at that moment to distract the enraged beast. "'You mean, I wished them?' The whole idea was probably a part of the wyvern jargon of dreaming, and he added, "'Or did I just dream everything?' There was the bandage on his arm the soreness under that bandage. But also there had been Logali's lash-brand back in the cavern, which had bitten into his flesh with the pain of a real blow. No, you weren't dreaming. You happened to be tuned in one of those handy little gadgets our lady friends here use. And so, tuned in, your desire for the wolverines being pretty powerful just then, they came. Shan grimaced. This was unbelievable. Yet there were his meetings with Logali and Trav. How could anyone rationally explain them? And how had he, in the beginning, been jumped from the top of the cliff on the island of his marooning into the midst of an underground flood without any conscious memory of an intermediate journey? "'How does it work?' he asked simply. Thorvald laughed. "'You tell me.' They have these disks, one to a wyvern, and they control forces with them. Back there on the beach we interrupted a class in such control. They were the novices learning their trade. We've stumbled on something here which can't be defined or understood by any of our previous standards of comparison. It's frankly magic, judged by our terms. Are we prisoners? Shan wanted to know ask me something I'm sure of. I've been free to come and go, within limits, 
No one's exhibited any signs of hostility. Most of them simply ignore me. I've had two interviews, via this mind-reading act of theirs, with their rulers, or elders, or chief sorceresses. All three titles seem to apply. They ask questions, I answer as best I can. But sometimes we appear to have no common meeting ground. Then I ask some questions. They evade gracefully, or reply in a kind of unintelligible double-talk. And that's as far as our communication has progressed so far. Taggy and Togi? Have a run of their own, and as far as I can tell, are better satisfied with life than I am. Oddly enough, they respond more quickly and more intelligently to orders. Perhaps this business of being shunted around by the disks has conditioned them in some way. What about these wyverns? Are they all female? No, but their tribal system is strictly matriarchal, which follows a pattern even Terra once knew. The fertile earth-mother and her priestesses, who became the witches when the gods overruled the goddesses. The males are few in number and lack the power to activate the disks. In fact, Thorvald laughed ruefully, one gathers that in this civilization our opposite numbers have, more or less, the status of pets at the best and necessary evils at the worst, which puts us at a disadvantage from the start. You think that they won't take us seriously because we are males? Might just work out that way. I've tried to get through to them about the danger from the throgs, telling them what it would mean to them to have the beetleheads settle in here for good. They just brush aside the whole idea. Can't you argue that the throgs are males, too? Or aren't they?" The survey officer shook his head. That's a point no human can answer. We've been sparring with throgs for years, and there have been libraries of reports written about them and their behavior patterns, all of which add up to about two paragraphs of proven facts and hundreds of surmises, beginning with the probable and skimming out to the wild fantastic. You can claim anything about a throg, and find a lot of very intelligent souls ready to believe you. But whether those beetle-heads squatting over on the mainland are able to answer to he, she, or it, your solution is just as good as mine. We've always considered the ones we fight to be males, but they might just as possibly be Amazons. Frankly, these wyverns couldn't care less, either. At least, that's the impression they give. But anyway, Shan observed, it hasn't come to we're all girls together, either. Thorvald laughed again. Not so you can notice. We're not the only unwilling visitor in the vicinity. Shan sat up. A throg? Uh, something, non-Warlockian, or non-Wyvern, and perhaps trouble for us. You haven't seen this other? Thorvald sat down, cross-legged. The amber light from the window made red gold of his hair, added ruddiness to his less gaunt features. No, I haven't. As far as I can tell, the stranger's not right here. I caught stray thought-beams twice, surprise expressed by newly-arrived wyverns who met me and apparently expected to be fronted by something quite physically different. 
Another Terran scout? No, I imagine that to the Wyverns we must look a lot alike. Just as we couldn't tell one of them from her sister if their body patterns didn't differ. Discovered one thing about those patterns. The more intricate they run, the higher the power, not of the immediate wearer, but of her ancestors. They're marked when they qualify for their disc, and presented with the rating of the greatest witch in their family line, as an inducement to live up to those deeds and surpass them if possible. Quite a bit of logic to that. Given the right conditioning, such a system might even work in our service. That nugget of information was the stuff from which survey reports were made, but at the moment the information concerning the other captive was of more value to Shan. He steadied his body against the wall with his good hand and got to his feet. Thorvald watched him. I take it you have visions of action. Tell me, Lanty, why did you take that header off the cliff to mix it with Forktail? Shan wondered himself. He had no reason for that impulsive act. I don't know. Chivalry? Fair wyvern in distress? The other prodded. Or did the backlash from one of those discs draw you in? I don't know. And why did you use your knife instead of your stunner? Shan was startled. For the first time he realized that he had fronted the greatest native menace they had discovered on Warlock with the more primitive of his weapons. Why had he not tried the stunner on the beast? He had just never thought of it when he had taken that leap into the role of Dragonslayer. Not that it would have done you any good to try the ray. It has no effect on Forktail. You tried it? Naturally, but you didn't know that. Or did you pick up that information earlier? No, answered Shan slowly. No, I don't know why I used the knife. The stunner would have been more natural. Suddenly he shivered, and the face he turned to Thorvald was very sober. How much do they control us? he asked, his voice dropping to a half-whisper, as if the walls about them could pick up those words and relay them to other ears. What can they do? A good question. Thorvald lost his light tone. Yes. What can they feed into our minds without our knowing? Perhaps those discs are only window-dressing, and they can work without them. A great deal will depend upon the impression we can make on these witches. He began to smile again, more wryly. The name we gave this planet is certainly a misnomer. A warlock is a male sorcerer, not a witch. And what are the chances of our becoming warlocks ourselves? Again Thorvald's smile faded, but he gave a curt little nod to Shan as if approving that thought. That is something we are going to look into, and now, if we have to convince some stubborn females, as well as fight throgs, well, he shrugged, we'll have a busy, busy time. End of chapter 15